Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. All right, folks, so this is part two of Life and Ministry with Pastor John Hallowell. And if you haven't listened to part one, I hope you'll go back and catch that. Um, it's the, basically the story of, of how John and I came to do ministry in Southern California, things that the Lord has shown us through the local church, how we organize the local church, and and, and where we see the Lord uh, moving things forward from there. So from just a past uh, organic kind of outflow of how we've understood walking with the Lord and doing ministry, now John and I are going to be talking about how the little church that we pastor is organized and the way ministry looks in our context, in our place. Uh, and so I hope you'll you'll be able to hold these two pieces together. They go together um, in, a, in a seamless conversation, but this is part two of that conversation, Life and Ministry with Pastor John Hallowell. I remember when um, early days when you and I were meeting and you described how the church was organized and you said this is a pastor-led church. Yes. And could you explain uh, what you mean or what you meant by that? Because you also said, I'm not sure if this could work at a larger and larger scale. I know it can work in this way. Uh, yeah. This is what we feel called to do. But the distinction of what you mean by a, a pastor-led church. Yeah, so, so let me start out by making a distinction from the Calvary Chapel Moses model. Uh, it's mm. not the Moses model where the pastor's anointed and his word needs to be taken above everything else. That's not what's meant by the pastor-directed church. Uh, it's, it's horizontal and, and vertical leadership. Uh, uh, horizontally, we have a board of directors that answers to Sacramento and the government's, right. you know, it's a 501c3 uh, organization. Zoe Church is a corporation right. that has laws to obey and rules to follow. Um, but in Orange County, I saw so much of, of board of directors uh, dabbling with church growth stuff and tampering with ministry and running out founding pastors, and especially at the time where, where Zoe was forming. Uh, there were pastors being sent on their way all over the place. And and it was because uh, the the you know the commitments weren't being met. The church needed to grow. It needed more intake. It needed all of the things that were you know basically that horizontal in my mind that horizontal level. Um, in Hebrews, you know, there's a command to people to uh, to submit to the uh, the elders and authority in their church because those people answer to God. Right. They give account to the Lord. So a pastor-driven church is uh, pastors giving account to the Lord and, and saying uh, it, to people, this is what the Lord wants us to do. And we stand before the Lord in prayer, and we pray what we should do, and this is what we should do. And if we're, we're wrong, which we could be wrong, then you know the Lord will correct us and help us. Uh, you know, the, the horizontal... Uh, plain kind of, you know, it's kind of a, a the sword of the Lord is there and the government uh, mm. responsibilities. And 
Uh, and, you know, several of those things have happened here. We were in this building when, uh, when a, a big church who rented the corner building moved their youth group next door, but they didn't have a permit to be here. Well, we had gotten permits and we're okay with the city of San Juan Capistrano. We went through this long process of years of getting a permit to worship in this particular room. And yet they were there with their youth group uh, just, uh, you know, headbanging on the walls. I remember trying to preach on Thursdays (laughs) and it's just coming right right through the walls. Okay, so... um, you know, and, and we don't want to get in the story of, of but the pastor was really uh, foreboding. He was threatening me with, uh, with all types of action, legal action. He was a lawyer. Mm. And, uh, and, 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 you know, we did have the, the law on our side, so, but, but the, the landlord did not want to enforce the law because they had more money and they had more legal prowess right. and they had more of a draw. So we were caught in this pickle of of yeah we were we were in the right here with the law with the permitting process but there's no way anybody was going to enforce it and so one of my board of directors members suggested to me that I withhold the lease payment <laughs> and the first month we withheld part a portion of the lease payment because the, because the neighbors weren't permitted and following the permit, Mm -hmm. they stepped into action. (laughs) They got them out of there in 30 days. So I'm not giving you this pious mumbo-jumbo about a pastor-driven church is is absent of board of directors' influence. The board of directors are critical, and they, they, they allow the doors to stay open. But the church is supposed to be a spiritual community of faith that's got new life in it and is moving toward eternity. And that's the primary purpose of the community of faith and the church. And, and uh, so that's got to be out front. That's got to be the primary consideration. And by that you mean on some level um, the pastor's feeling, being able to feel called to make what might not be the most reasonable decisions taken from a different perspective or from a strictly uh, maybe financial or board-driven perspective where it would just open up the hearing from the Lord, even if the Lord may want to deal with us pretty close on a leash (laughs) year by year. Like, what what does that free up in practical terms as far as what pastors are able to do or not caught in having to do? Well, when... When... uh, Dana Point Calvary, not to get back to that model, but when they tr- uh, went from a small church to a mega church, uh, one of the things they did was switch their board. Hmm. And, the, and the qualifications for the mega church board, and this was not in writing, but it was said that it had to be people who handled a lot of money all the time. So they knew how to handle money. Okay. And so you had people who had you know, bankers' jobs and directors' jobs, owned companies, and and uh, and they were now the board of directors making making the decisions that the board of directors make. So, what the what the difference is is what you consider priority. Right. Uh, when I was raising kids in Southern California, I had a sense that if we didn't go on vacation every summer and get out of town, we were getting cheated and. But but the money wasn't there always. So when I planned the vacation in January and February, the money wasn't there for the vacation in June, July, or August. But so so the question was, how badly do I want to go on vacation? Because if it's a financial thing, it's not going to happen. Right. 
Okay, so so you get the idea here that that a pastor is free to follow the most important thing, even when he can't see where the money's going to come from. Right. And if he's not really following the Lord, uh, you know, uh, he's probably going to crash and burn and fail. So that could happen too. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not preaching a uh, a type of you know God God uh, is the is the cash cow that provides all our needs. What I'm saying is that the pastor is free to say it's really important right now that we that we focus on this and we do this. We uh, we go through space and time together as a community of faith, and we keep our emphasis on this, even though everyone else is doing this other thing, or or the rents going up, or the lease are going up, or the economy's crashing. Uh, whatever the uh, external circumstances we're all facing in our life, they don't drive the ministry. Right. The pastor drives the ministry because he has to pray and ask Jesus what to do, and ask Jesus for forgiveness and answer for it, and yeah. answer for it. Right. You know, and 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 you know, and, and the assumption here is that we're gonna, you and I are gonna answer for decisions we've we've made uh, with respect to how we handle people, how we uh, how we decide what to preach and teach, and how we do that. And we're gonna stand before him one day in Second Corinthians five, the judgment seat of Christ, and and he might ask us, you know, why did you do that? I was trying to tell you to do this, and you did that, you know. And right, and right, hopefully right. there'll be some things where he said, I was trying to get you to see this, and you saw it, and right. you did it, and look at how well this worked out. Yeah. So is so that I mean that is it brings us more or less to kind of a present moment, um, present moment of ministry. Uh, present moment in the life of this church, which, as you said, is about 15 years old. Um, as far as the, you've seen all sorts of changes in Orange County. You've seen, uh, you've seen at least one major economic collapse and probably quite a few um, booms. Um, as far as ministry in a place like this, uh, ministry today, ministry in a in a kind of a, a post Christian kind of society in general, um, where do you see maybe, and maybe they're the same challenges, but where do you see the major challenge uh, for ministry now? Um, much of the megachurch thing certainly is still uh, with us, and those uh, motivations are still absolutely, uh, I can just remember seminary classes and people I went to seminary with. And in some sense, caught up in the same things as as though the '80s and '90s were happening all over again. Um, but for us, from our vantage point, small church, uh, a very materialist culture, uh, increasingly not religious culture. Um, where do you see the real challenge or demand for ministry today? How how does ministry work now? Mm. Well. Um... I, I think that it's not a matter of change. It's a matter of stability. Mm. There is no stability right now. It is totally unstable in our culture. Our culture is in a titanic struggle for existence, uh, or what, how it's going to exist in the future. And so that's the crisis that, that we all face. Um, you know, there's a there's a growing uh, uh, outrage of of um, of this instability, 
and the dialogue is is not there anymore between uh, between the church and the culture, and how the stability, how the instability works itself out, uh, is going to determine a, a lot of what your question implies and asks, uh, and and so uh, I think there are. Uh, things ahead of us, immediately ahead of us in the next few years, is going to be a shaking out of of Christianity and of ministry. Okay. There, there's going to be hell to pay for things that have happened from our culture's perspective, and there is going to be a restabilization around something and uh, and 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 stability. Um, in the 1960s, there was a violence in America that I lived through also. <laughs> and I was very young then, about 10 years old in the early 60s, and then uh, went to high school and, and eventually college also in the 60s, or at least started college in the 60s. And um, uh, it was a tremendously uh, rebellious and, and turbulent era uh, from the aspect of the presidency, you had the assassination of Kennedy, you had um, assassinations of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert Kennedy, and uh, you had violence, uh, you had the Vietnam War, you had the split in culture, and then you had uh, Nixon and Watergate. So you didn't have any stability from the, from the political organizations down to uh, down into culture, uh, every president was not reelected. There was a change every four years, and even sooner sometimes in in uh, in, in power, and it was just a, an, an upheaval. And then things began to settle down. Mm. So uh, there there will be a, a repeat of that. There will be a settling down of of the culture around us. Now the reason why um, I link your your question with culture is because we can't pretend that we're not in culture. We can't you know we can't say well we're just for the word. Uh, we just um, you know we just uh, get our direction and guidance from the word and pretend that we're not influenced by the culture around us. So the the direction for ministry is going to be connected with uh, with with the cultural uh, settling in and settling down, whichever way it settles down. Um, I'm I'm reminded of the um, uh, the the seven deadly sins and the uh, and the cardinal virtues, mm. and uh, and I and I recommend that uh, that we all remember that. The seven deadly sins are lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. And the cardinal virtues are prudence, courage, uh, and uh, temperance, justice, faith, love, and hope. Uh, we talk about these things in our men's group on, uh, on Tuesday evenings, mm. that the individual is responsible to make sure that the growth in your in your in your presence and culture, is in the side of these virtues, uh, and not in the side of the seven deadly sins. You can't be growing in sinfulness, mm. and go forward in life in our culture, and so uh, the cardinal virtues uh, de um, 
give us some type of guide of what activities ought to be in your life. The project that Jesus has going on in all of us through his word is to get us through times of instability and stability. And so he is going to lead us in the word. And the word um, tells us that, uh, that he will set us free. The truth will set us free. And that what we're being set free from are the human fallenness parts of our life that we have in us. And so as we preach and as we teach in the community of faith, we are trying to help people see what Jesus says about the things that are inside of us. And then as we understand those things, we can apply them to our life and we can be better people in this current culture, in this current time. And and, uh, and those things ought to play out in us. So the, in general, the guiding light at the end of the tunnel is, is the, uh, the Word of God, who is uh, the truth, and then He is the way also. In other words, this is how you should live. Once you see the truth, you should live this way. And ultimately, we head toward life, which is the zoe, the abundant life. So we have direction, we have guidance, we have the challenge of life in the words of Christ. But specifically, they've got to play out in, the, in our cultural experience of the culture we're in, in now. Right. And uh, so... And, and, and you said things are uh, chaotic and everything. You're talking at any number of levels. But you also referenced that there's this uh, chaos or this, there's going to be a reckoning for the variety of Christianity in this country. And, um, I mean, any number of things, but the major uh, sexual abuse issues, the major things that have kind of dissolved um, any maybe cultural capital that may have been left <laughs> with people. How about moral voice? Okay, just moral voice. And, and, and so that reckoning or that loss, let's say, of a, of a witness um, or of a standing with the broader culture um, means, in general, that... Maybe that institutions, as they have been formed, or um, ha- the, maybe the places where there used to be stability, where a lot of these um, sort of these shakings are even happening right now. Um, so, are you saying that it really comes back down to the project of the individual, um, walking with the Lord, um, pursuing those virtues, stabilizing their life in the midst of a life that's connected to the culture? But maybe maybe there was a time in which people would look to uh, look to those institutions or look to larger organizations, uh, Christian organizations, to how do we stabilize? And uh, are you thinking or are you seeing that no longer be a place that we can look at the moment, or those places have been shaken themselves? Well, um, yeah, yeah, that's a that's an excellent uh, <laughs> maybe too big launch point. Um, no, if that's too big, then you know we need to just all go home. I mean, <laughs> go home and get in a bunker somewhere. Um, okay, uh, a couple of uh, last year, uh, Ed Stetzer wrote a book. Uh, you know, the the Christianity Today guy, yeah. and uh, you know the one we all have over heard at Wheaton about. College now. Yeah, huh? yeah. yeah. Uh, he wrote a book called Christians in the Age of Outrage: How to Bring our best when the world is at its worst. And he talked about this back and forth of, of, of outrage. See, and he talked about the, uh, the, the, uh, what he called the, 
the committed Christians or the, uh, the Christians of a previous era who influenced culture. And in the influencing of culture, they felt really connected. And then when they felt disconnected from culture, they, they've sought to get back the control of culture. And so they, they've done that through outrage. They, they're outraged about issues. Mm. Uh, now, now, Stetzer's book is really uh, important because he tells us that if you're just going to up the ante on outrage, which is what we have going right now, there's, there's outrageous behavior, there's outrageous reaction. There's right. outrageous behavior, outrageous reaction. Uh, it, you're just going to talk past everybody. Uh, Christianity is divided as well as our culture is divided in ways we've never seen in our lifetime. Mm. Uh, and, and I include mine and yours, <laughs> okay? Um, and so, so everybody's just outraged about yeah. what's happening. Uh, no, one talk, no one can talk civilly when they have outrage as their primary, um, uh, when they have uh, outrage as their primary method of, of talking to someone else. They just talk right past each other, okay? So uh, Stetzer contends that the, the outrage that's brought in the current political changes is an outrage that's designed not so much to to change culture as it is to regain the power over culture hmm. that that there's a there's this misunderstanding that if we just shake up the politics we'll get control of culture again as a christian community and we'll be able to people will listen to us and people will will, will uh, you know the the institutions will be influenced again by us mm-hmm. uh, and and it's not going to happen it's not what's happening what's happening is not exactly clear but the grabbing for power by Christians is not going to do anything yeah God doesn't want us to have power apparently <laughs> um, so uh, so so you have that you have this methodology this this strategy of of trying to um, of trying to maintain a political balance that's that's totally inappropriate to Christianity um, there was another book written a couple years ago by Jonathan Lehman, and I'm currently reading it again, and it's called Political Church, the Political Church, mm. the Local Assembly uh, as Embassy of Christ's Rule. Mm. And what Lehman proposes is that the, the two-kingdom view of, of um, Christianity, which goes all the way back to Augustine, yeah, or the you two cities. What that, yeah, what, what does that mean? The two kingdom view. Uh, the idea that there's the city of God and the city of man going on contemporaneously. Uh, now, I don't want to pick on Lutherans because we have a colleague uh, <laughs> teaching at a Lutheran school. And uh, I but... just, but uh, you know, the Lutherans also have their own law, yeah, law and, and culture, law and grace. They have their own, um, they have their own version of the two cities. And so what, what Lehman says is, is that this, his thesis, which I agree with, is that there aren't two kingdoms here, uh, but there's two ages. Hmm. And, and so what, what's happened in, in the body politic in, um, in, in America is that the justification for what's going on today is that God is exercising his will in two different kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. God's sovereign over both. And so he's, he's taken his hand and he's, he's using it to, 
do one thing in the kingdom of man that we can't discern looks looks like it's it's God <laughs> and and in, and on the other hand the kingdom of God is here so we can safely uh, be in that kingdom while the other kingdom rages around us and and that that whole thesis is is um, it may not be true I don't think it's true rather we have the original creation uh, we have man who is governed and ruled and and, uh, and commanded by God to, to worship Him, to know Him and worship Him in the Old Covenant. And we have a new covenant that's come, and it is in Christ. It is the kingdom of God coming in Christ. And this is where we're all headed as believers in Jesus. So, and I'm getting around to the answer to your question. It's just a long way around. Okay? Yeah, no, no, so, um, <laughs> So you, you have this, this situation where... Uh, where Jesus is is promising us and leading us into the kingdom of God, the eternal life that He came to to give, but we still live in uh, in in a in a world that has the original creation and the fallenness of man. In fact, it's in bo- it's it, both in us the old age and the new age, and and so there aren't like two separate governing kingdoms going on at once. There's one kingdom overlapping with the other. And so the question of, of where we're at and, and where we're going in the direction of ministry has to do with, with heading toward the kingdom of God and an eternal life and having that in us now in part, developing in us and redeeming the parts of us that are fallen and, and are, are not uh, to be carried forward uh, but we can redeem them now. We can eliminate them now. We can be delivered from them now. And, and so the ministry has got to be helping the, the person to identify with the kingdom of God coming and realize it's the transformation inside right now that, that God wants of us and is leading us and calling us to. Now, let me connect the dot here because yeah, the yeah. connection of the dot's everything. Our... Uh, our um, own presence in this world is to bring the redemption of humanity to the to the institutions and the things in this world. Mm. So we're supposed to be uh, growing and being redeemed and full of life, the abundant life, and then we bring that to the the uh, institutions. And I'm going to go uh, I'm going to go institutions as family. Mm. And uh, and and state and church, okay, uh, and I include church because in, in uh, the Lutheran division of of of, uh, of law versus culture, the church is in the law uh, category. The church is in the city yeah. of of man category because it is an assembling of man. Okay, so we're supposed to be bringing our redemption into family into uh, the institutions of government, into the institutions of the church even, as an institution. And that's where, if we let ourselves get corrupt, if we're like the seven deadlies instead of the cardinal right. uh, cardinal virtues, what we're going to bring into those institutions is corruption. We're going we're gonna to corrupt those institutions. And so, uh, you know, full circle, it's unclear whether what institutions are going to survive what's happening right now. It, it's, it's, it's unclear. And what, it, what is happening right now is kind of unclear. 
And, uh, you know, as you know, and you can edit this part out if it's uncomfortable for you, uh, we are in uh, public ministry where there are, there are Trumpians who feel like the church is, is served by the, uh, the, the current uh, upending of all political sense, mm-hmm. uh, the change of political stagnation through a, uh, a figure who will just wreck everything, a wrecking ball, as, as it were, to the to the failed institutions, and and those people are, you know, they're they're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're committed here to not uh, not not uh, take one side or another, um, and 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 so uh, it's 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 a divisive, uh, angry view of things um, that that is created when you even address any issues, right. but but the truth uh, reality be told here and and you know I'm not a supporter of what's going on I I personally feel like uh, this is this is destroying something that I thought was was still valid in American institutions and the structure of government um, but how far this is going to go is not clear yet at this point uh, we don't know uh, if this is a fulfillment of a prophecy of a of a, a lawless, prophecy. Mm. And this is podcast stuff, right? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I, I have brothers and sisters in Christ that I love who are full-on Trumpians, and they love him, mm-hmm. okay? And I try to uh, back off from my most reactive instincts. Uh, and, you know, I, I see a man signing Bibles who's the very embodiment <laughs> of all of the seven deadly sins. I mean, yeah. lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. Ooh. This is the man yeah. who's signing Bibles, uh, and people are cheering that. Okay, so I, I try not to react to that. You know, we all this is also an entertainment era, and people yeah. are like, hey, can I get your signature or whatever? Here, sign my Bible. <laughs> um, so I try not to react. But on the other hand, uh, you know, you don't know. Uh, at, at its least... It's, it's, uh, I picture it this way. It's Samson in the Lincoln Memorial. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to the Lincoln Memorial. I have, yeah. Okay, so in there, uh, <laughs> Lincoln is like huge. Yeah. He's like, uh, un, you know, you can't relate to this statue. It's so huge. And in the writing, it talks about that being the temple. They created a temple for Lincoln. They created a temple for the ideals in American uh, American political culture. Right. Okay, so uh, at 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 its very most innocuous, this is not a a, a, a pre runner to Antichrist. <laughs> this is Samson in the temple uh, in, in Lincoln's memorial is going to bring it down, wow. and and you know that's what's that's what the struggle is right now. Uh, so you're asking about institutions. I'm giving you a direct answer. Yeah. Okay, this is this is what's not clear right now. What's going to happen eventually is people who have, uh, who, who have prudence, who have courage, who have temperance, who have justice, uh, who have faith, hope, and love are going to get out there and be a part of government. They're going to raise their families that way, uh, and, and they're going to be informed by the Word of God first and foremost. That's going to change their insides and then they're going to be better family members, they're going to be better community members, and they're going to contribute to uh, whatever institutions are left or survive or we decide are going forward in our country. 
And, 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 if, and if that survives, if the state survives like it is, they'll rebuild it and reform it, reform it in a virtuous way. Mm. So the direction then, bringing it all full circle yeah. for ministry, is we preach individual salvation for the benefit of all. It's not disconnected. It's right. not a. It's not a separate individualism. It's not this private thing it gets billed as, where it's just off in the corner. It's some shadowy interior life or something like this. It has everything to do with expression of those virtues in the yes. real world, yes. amongst your neighbors, whoever they may be, family members, whatever the background is. Yes, and and to get there, you have to struggle with this world because yeah. all of us, all of us are being plotted and and tempted into the fallenness of our humanity to, to th- let that thrive in us. Uh, and, and, and we've got to recognize from the culture around us. And, and in some sense, Orange County, California, you know, we have materialism and sexuality uh, in our face. If you're going to give an inch to that, it's going to take you. It's yeah. going to take you all. So we're already familiar with the challenge. You know, I've got to walk with the Lord here. And, uh, you know, I, I said this in 1984, that this is the one place in, in the world where you can lose everything in a weekend's time. You can lose your, mm. your, your goodness, your virtue, your salvation even, if that's possible, uh, <laughs> in, a, in a weekend, uh, in a weekend binge. Wow. And so it, it's right there in our face. Yeah. And, and to walk with the Lord. Uh, now, I, I've described this in totally human terms. But this is the work of the Spirit of God. The work of the Spirit is to lead us in this way. It's to energize our preaching, our teaching, our pastoring. It's to bring people who are eager to hear this and, and to hear the Word and to live it out. Eager to, uh, to, to, to be a part of family, church, and state. To influence for the better uh, everything around us. So it is the work of the Spirit in us. And it's a, it's a steady work. It's a, it's, a, it's a hard work in some ways. There's no shortcuts to it. And the shortcuts, in fact, defeat the work itself. So um, if, we, if, we had, if, if we close this episode with uh, the thought of a young person discerning a call to ministry and you had a word of encourage, I mean, the, the, this whole this whole conversation um, has been obviously about that at so many levels. But um, if you were to encourage a young person who, you know, maybe there aren't a lot of people entering ministry. I mean, even when I was in seminary, it was pretty shocking how few people at seminary were convinced of a calling to, let's say, pastoral ministry. I thought that's all I was going to find when I got there. And it really was something very different. It was, there was very few pastors uh, in my classes. Most of the ones that were feeling or had that calling were older. Uh, A lot of the people that were my age and younger were just sort of exploring ideas, were just kind of trying to figure out what they were going to do next in life. They were Christians, so they wanted to kind of keep studying certain things. Maybe they had gone to Bible college and weren't sure what to do next. But there was not this sense that young people were entering into pastoral ministry in a clear, strong, bold way. It was it was more about skepticism. It was more about what can we really rely on? What can we really trust? You know, it was very cynical. Uh, I can be very cynical, so I'm sure I was a part of that too. But I was expecting to see all these sort of brothers and sisters in arms just, you know, feeling called and feeling clear about their calling. If 
at least in my experience, that that hasn't been my experience. Um, but if there was someone, a young person listening to this, uh, discerning a calling, or maybe entering into ministry, or maybe praying about um, ministry and what that means, what it looks like, how might you um, give a closing sort of word of encouragement for somebody like that? Yeah, I would point to the day-to-day walk with Christ as primary. I see so many young people uh, say that they're, they think they're called to ministry, and what they're confusing is they're called to walk with Jesus, mm. and it feels so right to them. It feels so pure and so perfect and so powerful, and they feel like, well, the only way I can follow that pursuit is to shut everything else down and become a minister. And um, it's it's just like if you just walk with the Lord and he'll call you at the right time, uh, just grow in the Lord, uh, grow in your salvation, you know, learn what kind of fallenness is in you that the Lord wants to redeem. Uh, be in in his program of redemption. Let him redeem it. Uh, and and uh, the professional ministry is way overrated. I mean, it, it, it's like you don't get more opportunities. Right. Uh, you know, you might get more opportunities to deceive people. You don't get more opportunities to really powerfully influence people, uh, except by opening up the Word of God. And, and um, you know, I would... You know, I'm a classical language major, so I'm going to go for the Greek. Yeah. You know, it's like if you can't read the Bible in the original Koine, at least the New Testament part, you're going to be dependent on somebody to explain that to you. And uh, and so I, I'm, I'm wholehearted for that. Um, I, I think there are ways to know the Word better. But knowing the Word and obeying the Word need to go hand in hand, and and. And in today's world, obeying the world, uh, obeying the word, and getting victory over the world in in that way that's a that's a skill, a talent, that's a knack that you get inside of you. That is one of the one of the greatest uh, knacks that you can apply in ministry. Mm. So um, I would say, you know, don't be don't be uh, deluded by thinking that a professional. Uh, ministry is is uh, going to help you walk with the Lord. If you get walking with the Lord downright, uh, if you get that as a way of life, God will probably call you into uh, His ministry, serving Him that way. Uh, but but just just focus on on serving Him day by day, and uh, and and responding to Him, learning how to obey Him. And, uh, and, and make that the primary uh, part of your life because that's where you're going to enrich your soul the most. That's where you're going to become the most complete and fulfilled person uh, that you're going to possibly be. And it's out of strength then that you, that you minister to others, out of a personal strength that you gain uh, from the blessings of Christ and his grace in your life. And so I, you know, it sounds like I'm saying, uh, turn away, (laughs) go somewhere else. Um, I'm also a big advocate for the life of the mind. Um, I I feel like knowing the creation, the things that God created, that first covenant world around us, the more you can know about that, 
uh, the more you'll see the hand of God and the handiwork of God, and uh, and and that you and more importantly, perhaps you'll be able to communicate with others on a non-authoritarian way, on a on a human-to-human way. Uh, the more you're connected with the with the world around you and the connection around you. Remember, we're in the world; we're not of the world. And, uh, and so the things in the world that we're connected to intellectually, that we understand, that we know, uh, those things help in communication skills later. Um, so, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't know how to reduce it to simplicity, um, but, but uh, walking with the Lord and being faithful in the little things, uh, as the, the, the slogan used to be, you're faithful in the little things and God will will give you greater things to be faithful in. Amen. Pastor John Hallowell, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Dave. Thank you so much for joining us today, everybody. If you found any of this interesting, we do hope you will share the podcast, that you will rate us on iTunes with those five sweet stars, and and that you will subscribe, and that you will tell your friends and your neighbors and your relatives your mother Lois to subscribe and your sweet sweet grandmother old grandmother Eunice Eunice should definitely subscribe until next time may you live well think well and love well Godspeed